Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. really special guest on with me today and brett would you like to introduce yourself sure my name is uh, brett hall i'm the author of the book the real billy the kid aka brushy bill roberts i've also served on the board of directors and as the archivist of the billy the kid museum of canton texas it is outstanding man so my big question definitely first right out the gate is what inspired you to go down this road uh, basically, it was like most people through Young Guns too. That's where I first really became associated with Brushy Bill Roberts. And from there, I just started trying to collect everything I could to find out about him to see if there was anything to his claim. In the very beginning, I was very skeptical of Roberts' claim because I was pretty much a, a standard Billy the Kid history guy where I believed that Garrett killed him, blah, blah, blah. But then the more I learned about it, by ordering like uh, Alias Billy the Kid, the book written by uh, Robert's attorney, William B. Morrison. And the more I looked into it, the more I was like, whoa, there's a little bit more to this than I originally thought. And as I dug further and further into it, it was like, wow, you know, this guy was actually telling the truth. That's basically how I got into it. And dude, it is so hard to refute Brushy Bill's claims and the evidence presented uh, the fact, and especially with, with Morrison, I mean, they even went to Lincoln County and everything, if I do recall. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, they sure did. So when you first started getting into it, um, obviously everybody should be skeptical. I mean, that's mm-hmm. extremely healthy, totally normal. But at the same mm-hmm. time, me personally, when I did my series on it, I was to the point where I told people when I told the story of Brushy Bill. And even John Miller, for that matter, I said, listen, you got to weigh evidence, all the evidence, considering the fact that Pat Garrett did kill him. And then you have to weigh the evidence that he didn't. And whichever, whichever hand, you know, goes down the most, even if you're a skeptic, you have to look at it still open minded and be like, "Okay, well, maybe maybe the history is wrong. Maybe this is. So with that being said, when you started getting into researching Pat Garrett and the events of that night, uh, what were some staggering details that you realized that really clicked in your brain? Because we always try to start from the beginning and the -hmm. beginning would be, you know, their I don't want to say friendship because they were acquaintances. They knew each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the movie 
raised them as friends, which I, I if I remember correctly, Pat Garrett was what a bartender in a bar that Billy went to, you know, and yeah, Beaver Smith Saloon, yeah. Exactly. So when you started looking into the actual night that he supposedly died, that Pat Garrett supposedly killed him, what was some of the things that you realized that it was like, okay, now I'm on to something. Something's not right here. Well, first of all, the inconsistencies in the people that were there, their statements, they really couldn't agree with one another on exactly what happened. The fact that when Garrett was in Pete Maxwell's house, that he was sitting on the edge of Pete Maxwell's bed in the dark, uh, supposedly Billy the Kid walked right in the door, passing Garrett's two deputies, John Poe and Thomas McKinney, and they didn't seem to be alarmed by it, walked right by him, went to the room and started saying, who's there, who's there in Spanish, and then Garrett yes. just blindly fired into the dark. That just didn't make sense. In fact, when Garrett and Maxwell ran out of the room right after the shot happened, the first thing that John Poe said to him was, Pat, you've killed the wrong man. That wasn't the kid. You know, he wouldn't come here like that. I mean, he walked right by us. It, it just didn't make any sense. And then after the shooting, once again, you have so many conflicting statements. I mean, there's a man named John Graham who said that right after the shooting happened, they hurriedly got the body in a box, put it on the back of a cart, and then had it taken out and buried, and no one was allowed to look at the body. And then you have other people saying, no, everybody saw the body. It, there's just so many conflicting reports as to what happened. And then the description of the people that claim they saw the body, some describing him as dark-skinned, having a beard, totally not meeting any known description of Billy the Kid. And that, that's just a few, for instance. No, exactly, man. And that was my big thing about it, too, was uh, why would you walk by two, you know, white guys mm -hmm. and st and just automatically speak in Spanish? Um, exactly. You know, K&S. That was one of the things for me, too. And I actually got into the uh, shot trajectories of, mm -hmm. you know, Pat Garrett firing the shots and stuff like that. Even that didn't mm -hmm. add up. Before this, one of my main points when I talked about it was the fact that before this, Pat Garrett had killed two guys that were supposedly Billy the Kid that were wrong. Exactly. And at that point in time, they straight up told him, they're like, listen, man, you can't just shoot guys you know, randomly mm -hmm. saying they're Billy the Kid or thinking they're Billy the Kid for that matter. So I presented that fact to my listeners, I was like, what do you think would the repercussions would have been if Pat Garrett killed the wrong guy the third time after he was told mm -hmm. not to? Like you had just mentioned, you know, Poe saying, man, you shot the wrong guy. And the fact that Billy couldn't grow a beard, the dude barely mm -hmm. could grow peach fuzz, like as a mustache, exactly. you know, that, exactly. that just didn't mm -hmm. sit right with me. That being said, you know, not to be the asshole here, man, but mm -hmm. I had a bunch of not so nice things to say about Pat Garrett when I covered this case. All right. Yeah. So what is your opinion on, you know, Pat Garrett when you started researching him and, you know, getting into his, into him personally? Uh, well, he was definitely a man of questionable character and um, there were some family members, primarily his daughter, Elizabeth Garrett. She actually said her father did not kill Billy the kid. In fact, that has been published in numerous accounts. I believe even the New York Times carried the story. But yeah, Garrett was definitely a man of questionable character. I mean, he abandoned his family 
and went and left for another woman and basically left his family to, to fend for themselves at one point. Um, he was involved in it where he basically caused the president to um, have basically a scandal because he introduced the president at the time to uh, a known like criminal. And that was a big scandal at the time. And he had to had to resign, I believe, because he was a customs official. And then, um, I mean, just, I mean, even up to his death, I mean, there was, they really to this day don't know exactly who killed him because there were so many people that basically had a beef with him. And he was shot and killed by getting blasted in the back of the head, you know, while he was urinating because he was having a, a land dispute with a man named Wayne Brazel. So, I mean, it's just, there's just so many things. And like you said before, he had supposedly thought he killed Billy the Kid twice earlier because he preferred using the ambush killing style for taking down his uh, fugitives. But the difference between those killings was that Tom O'Falliard and Charlie Beaudry were one admit, whereas the man in Fort Sumner, if it's Billy Barlow, like William Roberts claims, he wasn't a wanted man. In fact, he was a man probably of Mexican descent. And at the time, Fort Sumner being primarily occupied by Mexicans and then people having racial issues because of the Horror War, which happened right before the Lincoln County War, you know, that, that, that would be a pretty big issue. So, uh, yeah, Garrett, Garrett wasn't exactly a, a moral guy by any stretch of the imagination. Most definitely not, dude. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And the mm-hmm. fact that he literally wrote Billy the Kid's autobiography, or biography for that matter, I should say, like, mm-hmm. that always, always bothered me. With that being said, tell us a little bit about, uh, about Morrison and how he tracked down William Roberts. Yeah, Morrison, to me, is actually almost as equally as an interesting character as Brushy Bill because that actually served as a big motivating factor in my research because I, I live in Illinois, in Alton, Illinois, which is a stone's throw from St. Louis, Missouri, which is where Morrison was from. And when I was reading Alias Billy the Kid, I happened to come across a passage in there where he talked about how he was a member of the Missouri Historical Society. But Missouri Historical Society is in St. Louis. So on a whim, I just happened to go in there one day, and I asked if he had any like documents or anything in there. And the archivist there was like, wow, yeah, he certainly did. And they brought out all these boxes and these reams of microfilm files. As I would start pouring through these documents, and I was just like, wow. I was so blown away because Morrison represented Brushy Bill in his application for pardon in 1950. He started in 1948. But he worked on Brushy's case all up until the time of his death in 1977. And during this time, he just – it was just incredible the amount of documents he had. In fact, I'm still to this day finding stuff because when I would go through these documents, I would find references to other document caches that he would have, like in El Paso, Texas, in La Cruces, New Mexico, I mean, just all over the place. So I've been all over trying to collect all these documents. But Morrison – I mean, he, he had a direct connection to this because he was a distant relative of the Maxwell family. In fact, in 1948, when he met Joe Hines, because he was working as a probate investigator, and Joe Hines was living in Cottage Hill, Florida, which is in Escambia County, he went down there, and Joe Hines said, look, my brother passed away. He had some property up near my new North Dakota, but I can't get it because I've been living under the alias Joe Hines. My real name was William Campbell. Anybody that's familiar with Lincoln County War knows that William Campbell is the man that with Jesse Evans 
shot and killed Houston Chapman, who was Susan McSween's attorney. He said, look, I've been living under this alias, so I'm trying to collect on this probate claim, but I can't. Well, Morrison was able to get this cleared up, and during the process of this, he casually mentioned his connection to the Lincoln County War. That he goes, well, you know, Billy the Kid was shot and killed in my relative's house, and that's when Joe Hines said, uh, you're mistaken because Billy the Kid's still alive. I run into him from time to time, and he lives in Hamilton County, Texas. And that's when Morrison obviously got into the trail of uh, Brushy Bill Roberts. But Morrison, I mean, he sacrificed everything. He, he didn't receive any money, really, for any of this. He footed the bill. He paid for Billy's legal case. He spent his own money making sure that other researchers would be able to pick up where he left off by filing these documents in these archives and actually going to the great expense of having a lot of them converted over into microfilm, which was quite expensive for the time. He didn't have the luxury of the Internet like we have now. He actually had to drive to all these places. He went everywhere from Mexico to North Dakota. I mean, at the time, still trying to support a family, and he wasn't a rich man by any stretch of the imagination. So it's just, I mean, he, he became admittedly obsessed with this. And, but during the course, he also gained the respect of several well-known historians, historians that even Brushy Bill's detractors respect, guys like Phil Ranch, Robert Mullins, E.B. Mann, J.C. Dykes. I mean, these guys all corresponded with Morrison and were helping him behind the scenes. In fact, it was them that led him to the men that knew Billy the Kid that verified Brushy Bill Roberts' claim later on. So, yeah, he was, he was a well-respected guy, and he... I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he was able to manage the time to do the stuff that he did and still, you know, support his family. It's pretty amazing. A lot of people, their argument is, well, Brushy Bill, he he was looking for fame. He knew a lot about Billy the Kid, all that kind of stuff. Um, With that being said, can you kind of enlighten us a little bit on Brushy Bill's life after the 1880s? Sure. Well, he did a lot. Uh, that's for sure. Like after the 1880s, basically after he escaped Fort Sumner, he went on, he did a lot of things. He worked various jobs. He worked as a U.S. Marshal coming out of Arkansas at Fort Smith. He worked for the Anti-Horse Thief Association on two separate stints. He uh, worked for the Pinkerton Detective Agency for a while. He uh, worked as a plainclothes policeman in, uh, I believe it was Grandview, Texas, he served in the uh, Cuban campaign of the Spanish-American War. He, he did a lot of stuff. He was an interesting guy. And the thing with Brushy Bill is a lot of his detractors say, well, he sure did do a lot of stuff. He, you know, he couldn't have possibly did all this stuff that he claims he did. But the kicker is there is supporting evidence for everything that he said. For instance, is, is, uh, that he worked for the Anti-Horse Thief Association. We have documents from three different independent historians who have no they have no part in this brushy bill, Billy the Kid debate at all, who said, yes, he did work for the Anti-Horse Thief Association. He had the badge, which was only issued at that time frame that he claims he worked for them. There's two photographs of him riding a horse with the Anti-Horse Thief Association brand, which is a large C just below the name. Um, he also had statements from people that he worked with. And then when you go to Fort Smith, when he worked at Fort Smith, the actual records are intact there, and it lists him as a W. Roberts was employed at the time that he said he was. And there's also statements by two men that worked with him at the time. And he has a photograph that later on in life, because they kept in touch all the way up through the 1930s, that uh, verified that he worked there when he said he did. Same thing with the Pinkerton Detective Agency. 
there was a a, a letter from a man that, I forget his name right offhand, but he he uh, corresponded that he worked with the marshal service at the same time Brushy did, and a man named Jack Berlin, who also said that Brushy Bill Roberts saved him while he was working on the marshal's force when there was a shootout at the time. So I mean, there's just so much corroborating evidence evidence when he was in the Spanish American War. He had a service medal, and also there is a photograph in the official uh, military records that bears a strong resemblance to him and also lists a W. Roberts being employed doing what he said he did, which was a horse trainer, so which he was training cavalry troops at the time. So there's evidence to back up pretty much everything that he says he did. And in the 1930s, when he was working as a plainclothes policeman for, I believe, his Grandview, Texas, he had a letter of recommendation by the chief of police, and attached to that was a document, which was an affidavit of people that support that he had a career in law enforcement, and it contained this signature, I believe, nine men dating all the way back to the 1880s, all the way up to, like, the early 1900s that he had worked in law enforcement. So, I mean, there's a lot of corroborating evidence to back up Robert's claim. It's not like he just said this stuff and there was nothing to back it up, which is pretty amazing. Oh, it's, it absolutely is. And that brings up the conversation of who wouldn't have recognized him. Like, why mm-hmm. didn't he just escape to Mexico and live out his life there? He spoke fluent mm-hmm. Spanish. He was very well embedded in the Hispanic culture and lifestyle. Why do you think that is? Why do you think he popped up, you know, so quickly uh, in the United States and wasn't recognized as Billy the Kid because the guy's picture was everywhere. Yeah. Well, he was constantly recognized as being Billy the Kid. He would usually move pretty quick thereafter. Um, And he did go to Mexico on at least two different occasions to try to start over there. But Mexico at the time was in a state of revolution, and he had basically invested in a ranch there. And then when the revolution started, he basically got run out. But he was constantly being recognized as Billy the Kid, being accused of being Billy the Kid. And he would usually move on pretty quick from there to try to uh, avoid it being verified. And he dealt with that basically his whole life. And he he talked about that to Morrison. And that's why a lot of the reason he was constantly on the move. But, I mean, that time was a different time. It It was a lot harder to track somebody than obviously it is now. So he had that in his favor. But yeah, even that, he was still constantly being recognized and being accused of being Billy the Kid, even all the way up to whenever he was like in his 80s, where he was the H.H. Anthony situation, where he just walked out of a barber shop and a guy said, that's Billy Bonnie, you know, I know that son of a bitch anywhere, you know. So, I mean, it was something that he was dealing with his entire life after 1881. Well, I do know at first with uh, with Morrison, he was very apprehensive about admitting that he was William H. Bonnie and everything like mm-hmm. that. And then the tides changed and he was like, okay, fine. Because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Morrison wanted to help him get that pardon. Is that why he finally told Morrison, hey, you know, yeah, you know what? I am Billy the Kid. That, you know, son of a bitch Wallace was supposed to give me a pardon and he never did. Can you tell us a little bit about about Brushy Bill Roberts' lifestyle the kind of life he was living when Morrison tracked him down? Well, yeah, I mean, he was poor, that's for sure. He he basically was living in a rundown house. He was married, but basically he was forced at that point basically to just do odd jobs from here and there. He I know he worked for a short time where his job was actually plucking feathers from turkeys. 
at a turkey plant. Yeah, he was he was he was a pretty poor guy. But the whole thing when when Morrison first confronted him was, yeah, he denied it. He said, "Look, I'm I'm not Billy the Kid. I don't you know I don't know what you're talking about, whatever." But then uh, the more he talked to Morrison, he was, he finally was like, "Look, meet me here tomorrow, and I'll tell you more about it." So Morrison stayed in town overnight, met with him the next day, and that's when that's when Roberts told him, "He goes, look, I'm Billy the Kid." I'm not saying anything until I get a pardon. I was promised a pardon, but I got screwed over by the governor. I'm, I'm old. I'm dying. I know I don't have much time left. I at least won my pardon so I can, I can die a free man with a clear conscience. It was at that point that Morrison was like, okay, but I'm, I'm going to need a little bit more than that. And then Morrison had him stripped down to where he could look, and he showed him all the scars from the bullet wounds that it's known that Billy the Kid had. Then after that, they sat down, and he started telling his story. And this took place over a series of days when Morrison would actually get a tape recorder and actually recorded Robert's statements over three separate interviews. But this was supposed to be the beginning. It definitely wasn't supposed to be the final word because the plan was that once Roberts obtained a pardon and that he didn't have the threat of being hanged over his head, he was going to sit down and he was going to tell the complete story. This was basically just a summary, a point of reference for Morrison to prepare the brief for pardon. And that's the sad thing about this is that there's so much we don't know about Brushy Bill because it, his story really isn't complete because if he would have obtained his pardon like he, he should have, they were going to sit down and do a much more thorough interview to where he was going to go over the details at a greater, greater rate than they did in the original interviews. So, and, that, and that's a real shame because he got screwed over in that. Going back to uh, Morrison and Billy, after Billy agreed – you know, to talk to Morrison and that he wanted his pardon. How did the following events transpire? Because I do know they went back to Lincoln County. How did all that transpire? Well, basically, they they went to New Mexico basically to research because he thought that maybe that Roberts revisiting these places would trigger certain stories and aspects that he could basically note to help verify his claim. And they did. They went all over the play, all over New Mexico, of uh, revisiting a lot of Billy the Kid's old stopping grounds, and it would trigger stories that Roberts would tell and, and Morrison would document. Yeah, it took place over several days. And this is, like I said before, where Morrison basically having the support of a lot of historians behind the scenes, because this, this is a mis grave misconception, is that nobody supported Roberts' claim, which is not true at all. Like I said, E.B. Mann, who was a very well-known historian, he was present at the meeting before the governor. He walked away from that meeting believing Brushy Bill Roberts was the real Billy the Kid. J.C. Dykes as well. But Philip Rash and William Kelleher were two other historians, and they're the ones that told, Rock, told Morrison, they're like, look, if you're trying to interview people that actually knew Billy the Kid, these are the people you need to see. And that's why Morrison took Roberts to meet Martilla Abel, Severo Gallagas, Jose Montoya, primarily because those were the main ones, and then also Sam and Bill Jones. Each and every one of them said Brushy Bill Roberts was the real Billy the Kid. I don't know how much you want to get into this. But Martilla Abel is, to me, the most interesting one of all, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but there had been another Billy the Kid claimant several years before Brushy Bill came out. His name was Henry Smith. And Henry Smith was in Fort Sumner and Lincoln running around saying, I'm Billy the Kid. And William Kelleher called Martilla Abel his ace in the hole, his secret weapon, because he said that anybody that claimed to be Billy the Kid would have to pass her test, because Martilla Abel's husband was John Abel. And they were both known. They were accepted by everyone, whether you believe Brushy Bill Roberts or not, as being friends of Billy the Kid. He had stayed with them many a times. They had helped him out, so forth. 
Martilla Abel met Henry Smith, and she said, if you're Billy the Kid, the last night that you were in New Mexico before you were supposedly killed by Garrett, we had a conversation. What did we talk about? Henry Smith had no idea. He didn't even know who she was. He didn't even know who her husband was. Rushy Bill Roberts, when he met Martilla Abel, he was able to recount that conversation and knew exactly who she was. And she said, she, just as soon as she looked, everybody said that Billy the Kid had distinct eyes. She said just as soon as she looked at his eyes, she knew he was Billy the Kid. But he was able to answer those questions. Now, if he wasn't Billy the Kid, how was he able to tell that story? Because that story has never been published in any account, ever. The only three people that knew were John Abel, who was dead at the time, Martilla Abel, and Billy the Kid. So I think that goes a long way for verifying Brushy Bill Roberts' claim. And we're not, we haven't even gotten into Severo Gallicus or Jose Montoya. So. Exactly, dude. And I was, I was going to ask you if you wanted to uh, go a little bit more on depth on, on those as well. Yeah, uh, Severo Gallagas. So he was the one that supposedly cut the chains, or not cut the chains, he got the horse for Billy after he escaped from the Lincoln County Jail. So he, he knew Billy the Kid. And when he first met Brushy Bill, he was a little hesitant because he was like, he looks kind of young. He didn't think he looked old enough to be Billy the Kid. But then he said once he saw the eyes and he talked to him, he was like, wow, he, he was Billy the Kid. How else would he know that stuff? Because a lot of this stuff was never published. I mean, it was never written about. So the only people that would know would be the people that were there. That's what basically did it for Severo. Jose Montoya was a resident of Lincoln County. He knew everybody. He knew all the participants. He knew all the people that fought in the Lincoln County War. He knew Billy the Kid. He didn't know him well, but he knew who he was, and he had, had a couple run-ins with him. And he verified by the same way. He said, those, he said everybody always talked about Billy's eyes, how distinct they were. But yeah, he was able to basically pass his test as well. So, I mean, if, if Rushy Bill was a, a fraud, he was able to do something that no other fraud was able to do, and he had the ability to basically retell stories that no one else would able, be able to because you would have to be present to do that. And that's what's so amazing about his claim. Now, there were some descendants of the Garrett family there as well. And what was their argument for saying, no, this is not Billy the Kid. There's no way. They basically didn't present an argument. In fact, the, the two, it was uh, Garrett's sons, Oscar and Jarvis Garrett. They were both there. And they were asked, I believe it was, I believe it was Oscar Garrett. It might have been Jarvis. I'm pretty sure it was Oscar said, we do not wish to dignify this claim by asking any questions. There's been a, uh, a fallacy that's been spread. In fact, if you go on the internet and brush you build discussion boards, you'll always see somebody say that one of the Garrett sons asked Brushy Bill a question in Spanish and he didn't respond, which is not true. Nobody reported that had happened. There's, there's tens and tens of upon tens of newspaper articles that covered that. Numerous historians weren't in attendance. Nobody ever mentioned that that had happened. That is a complete myth. That is the only thing that they said is one of them stood up and said, we do not wish to dignify this claim by asking any questions. That's the only statement they made. They never gave any other details. Uh, they did threaten to sue Morrison when alias Billy the Kid came out, but that never came about it. In fact, Morrison actually welcomed the lawsuit because he was hoping that upon discovery and, a, you know, they would get him on the stand and so forth, that they would be able to bring a lot of stuff out, but it never happened. They really don't have any kind of argument in the fight, and even still to this day, um, I've seen interviews over that particular subject, you know, with the Garrett family, and that's mm -hmm. literally all they have to say. There's no, there's no evidence to support the fact that Pat Garrett did kill Billy the Kid. There's way more evidence that suggests that he didn't. Let's talk about a little bit about 
Brushy Bill's death and how mm-hmm. we really never got a conclusion to this particular story because mm-hmm. of his – I mean it was a sudden death. you know. Well, Brushy was obviously extremely distraught at the, at the meeting with the governor because originally the, the plan was that it was supposed to be Brushy Bill, Morrison, uh, an attorney by the name of Ted Andrus was going to accompany Morrison and Roberts. And then um, there was supposed to be the governor, and he was allowed to bring a couple historians that he could have, ask questions. And when Brushy and Morrison got there, and it was a big media circus, and they, the, the pathway was lined with police, Roberts was obviously nervous, and he was scared because he was like, this isn't what we agreed to. And then they started hurling ridiculous questions at him. Like one, of, one reporter asked him, how much money do you think you're going to make from this? And, and that, that bothered Roberts immensely. But, I mean, he ended up having a health issue where he has to lay down because he was – they think he had a mild stroke or a mild heart attack. And, uh, yeah, it ended up killing him. By, uh, about a month later when he returned home, he died of a heart attack. He had been basically bedridden ever since. And then one day he said he was feeling a little bit better, and he asked – his wife wanted to mail a letter. So he said, I'll walk down to the post office and mail it, and he did. And he, when he did, he basically collapsed right in front of the Heiko News Review. He fell, uh, died of a heart attack right there on the sidewalk. A- after that meeting, he, he asked Morrison, he's like, why would they ask that question? How much money are we asking? We didn't ask for any money. He, he was deeply troubled by that because he, he thought that maybe if people knew that he wasn't interested in money, that he just wanted the pardon, that they would have seen where he was coming from and taken his case a little more sincerely. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and that was one of my arguments as well is the fact that Roberts literally wanted this to be secret. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't care about anything else. I just want the pardon that was promised to me. That is literally it. And um, I think it was what him and Morrison were in a diner. I think it was drinking coffee, eating some lunch or something like that. It was before their actual meeting and they got approached by a bunch of people and it was just a fiasco from there. Uh, my details could be skewed though. Um a while since I researched that. I did spend about six months down that rabbit hole, though, man. And yeah, it, <laughs> I, I got asked, dude, it is so easy to get lost in this. So, as all of you know, one of my passions is unsolved cases. And the reason that I love unsolved cases is because I get to try to put puzzle pieces together to find some kind of theory, some kind of solution. But sometimes it does weigh me down and I need a little bit of a break. And when I do take my break, I go to Best Fiends. It cleans my brain. It gives me a refresher. It is an awesome mobile puzzle game. You can literally play it right on your phone. You can go through all the levels. You can solve all these puzzles. Each one is challenging. The more levels you go up, the harder it gets. And it really still engages your brain. But at the same time, it's really, really fun. And one of the best things is it's made for adults, but anybody can play it. I play it with my kids. They actually enjoy it too. I personally have made it to level 125. And when I say that, I know it sounds crazy, but once you sit down, it's hard to put it down. You just keep going. You want to keep getting to that next level. And it's a nice thing to kill your time. I mean, you can even play offline. You don't need the internet to play, so you can do it while you're traveling. I personally think it's better than sitting there and scrolling through social media, just bored, just scrolling through stuff. Instead of that, engage your brain. Have some fun. 
Another cool thing is that it's very visual. There's lots of bright colors. There's a lot of different kinds of characters. And it updates monthly. So there's always something new coming out. It's not just the same old stuff over and over and over again. This game is literally a 5 star rated mobile puzzle game. You can find it at the Apple App Store, Google Play. You can download it for free. And this game is so good that it has over 100 million downloads. So if you think I'm the only person playing it, you are very wrong. So go download Best Fiends today. That's Best Fiends. It's friends without the R. Let me know how you like it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus so what are the most popular claims that basically contradict brushy bill roberts was billy the kid and what are your answer to those claims Okay, this is fascinating because uh, mo- most of the claims against Brushy Bill Roberts are complete fabrication. Number one, as they try, I, I call, they call it the question of literacy. Was Brushy Bill Roberts illiterate? And if so, he couldn't have been Billy the Kid because Billy the Kid well, you know, had this beautiful handwriting and was this literate character and so forth. The truth of the matter is this. We have several examples of Billy the Kid's handwriting. We have the writings that were sent when he was in the Lincoln County Jail to Governor Lou Wallace, asking Wallace to honor his pardon. We have the letter to Edgar Capeless, and we have the bill of sale to Henry Hoyt for a horse. Those are the claimed handwritings of Billy the Kid. The problem with those handwritings is, and once again, let's remove Brushy Bill Roberts completely out of the equation. Let's just talk about the handwriting. These are for, from sources that are completely supported by people that don't believe Brushy Bill Roberts. One being Bob Bospell. In Bob Bospell's book, he had a handwriting expert examine all of the Billy the Kid letters. The handwriting expert was a forensic document examiner from uh, Chicago, Illinois. She said these were all written by different people. No two people wrote these letters. The second being the New Mexico State Police. They had a document examiner, examiner by the name of Arthur Cavella who was the chief document examiner, he did the same thing. He said all of these documents were written by different people. None of them contained the same handwriting. And that's just two. There's actually been dozens of these done. And every, every examiner has the same conclusion. They were all written by different people. So we don't know if any of these documents contain Billy the Kid's handwriting. We don't know if Billy the Kid really was literate because Everybody agrees. Billy the Kid only had a few months of education when he was in Silver City, New Mexico, when he was a young child. That's it. Now, 
he had less than a year of education. How literate could he have been? Okay. Now, with that said, Brushy Bill Roberts was not illiterate. There was one statement made in the book, Alias Billy the Kid, where uh, Charles Sonnichen said, Brushy Bill Roberts was not a literate man. By that statement, he meant that Brushy Bill Roberts was not a man to sit around reading books. But he was literate enough to where he could, he could correspond and he could read. He wasn't completely illiterate. In Alias Billy the Kid, they also reference that, that uh, Roberts had a journal that he was writing his life story in. In fact, in my book, in the very back of it, I have a picture of the page that was taken out of that journal that I found at the University of Texas El Paso Library in the C.L. Sonnichson collection. There was actually a page of that journal in there, and I actually put it in my book. So you have that. You, you have, I have at least 10 letters that were written by Brushy Bill to various people. He signed his uh, marriage licenses, uh, land records, things like that. We have, so we know he wasn't illiterate. The point Sonnichson was trying to make with that statement is that he basically just wasn't a guy that's going to be out doing research, you know, in a library or something. And that has been taken out of context. And even some Brushy Bill people, like uh, I was really good friends with Bill Tunstall. And Bill Tunstall believed that Brushy Bill Roberts was illiterate because of that statement in Alias Billy the Kid. And later on, towards the end, I was able to show him some stuff when I started finding these documents that Morrison had stashed, where he had several letters by Brushy Bill and then that page from the journal. Then Tunstall was like, oh, okay, maybe he wasn't. But yeah, there, there's a lot of misconception about that. But really, the question of literacy is a moot point because, like I said before, we don't know what Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid could read or write because all of those letters have been verified by independent experts as saying they all weren't written by the same person, so we don't really know. And a lot of people kind of gloss over that when they're talking about Billy the Kid. And so that's one, the question of literacy. The, the number two one is um, probably, probably that he wasn't old enough. They claim that he was actually a guy by the name of Oliver Pleasant Roberts. Now, depending on the person you're arguing with, They'll tell you Oliver Pleasant Roberts was born in either 1865, 1867, 1869, or, 19, or 1879. They're all over the place on this. And the fact of the matter being is that we know that Brushy Bill Roberts was working in 1882 as a lawman, and we have documents signed by at least two people that worked with him at the time. So if he was born in 1879, how was he working as a lawman in 1882. It's impossible. And there's actually no evidence of the 1865, 67, or 1879, or 69 birth. Because their claim, they use, they're using a birth, uh, they call it a page from the family Bible, when in all reality, that wasn't a real family Bible. It was basically somebody just sitting down and basically trying to recreate from memory a family Bible that they claim they saw. Now, Robert's family Bible that he used to support his claim came from Martha Veda Heath Roberts. And it showed that Roberts was exactly who he said he was, and it verified his genealogy. The problem with that page is, is that after he passed away, his belongings were all put in a trunk, and they were passed around from relatives. And when Frederick Bean, who was a researcher, he was the last one to see him back in the late 80s, early 90s. He said they were in such bad shape. He tried to, he basically tried to salvage whatever he could, but the family ended up just basically pitching it, and which is extremely sad. Yeah, so it's been lost to history, but that was supposedly a real family Bible as opposed to a recreation, which is what his detractors use.
So that's probably the most common one. There's also another really ridiculous one that claims that he at one time claimed to have been a member of the James Gang. And that comes from a newspaper article because he did go to the Jesse James birthday party, which was in Stanton, Missouri, and um, I believe it was like 1949, I believe. And um, at that uh, event, it was for J. Frank Dalton, who I'm sure you know claimed to be Jesse James. And he was a guest of Ola Everhard, Rushy Bill was. And during one of the photographs, he was standing next to a man named James Davis. And the newspaper article said James Gang former members, and they somehow lopped Rushy Bill into that. But he never claimed to have been a James Gang member. In fact, at that same meeting or at that same party, there was a man from, uh, I believe it was NBC Radio. His name was Maury Davidson. And he recorded an interview with all the people involved. And it's actually on YouTube. It's not real great quality. It's really, really muddy. But you can hear Roberts tell a story, which basically he says his father, which is the same one he told William B. Morrison, had fought with the James brothers in um, the Civil War. And that his father always believed that Jesse James didn't die like they said he did. That's really the only thing he said about it. He never claimed to have been a James gang member. It was just taken out of context in some newspaper article and didn't have any direct quotes from him or anything. It's but a lot of them try to cherry pick that and say say uh, he he claimed to have been a James gang member. His father supposedly had fought with Quantrill. Yeah. And obviously Quantrill and Bloody Bill Anderson are literally the reasons well that and the Union militias are literally the reasons Jesse James became who he was and Exactly. I think Quantrill is responsible I guess for inadvertently Jesse James's training because you know Quantrill was trained by um, Native Americans down in Texas, ambush, camouflage, everything like that, and that's why you know Quantrill's raiders were so successful. <laughs> they uh, exactly yeah. completely pretty annihilated anybody, dude. And you know, for those of you who are not familiar with Quantrill, definitely an interesting character. And I had always heard that Billy the Kid's father had fought with Quantrill and stuff like that. Billy the Kid being from supposedly New York, you know, it's where he's born and partially raised. You know, people are like, oh, a guy from New York went down and fought with Quantrill? Like, that doesn't really make sense. And it's like, it it was different times. Like, it does make sense, you know? Uh, Yeah. Let me ask you this. What's your opinion on John Miller? When John Miller popped up into the picture, and he's a lesser known person who claimed to be Billy the Kid, I will be honest, I do feel pretty strongly going on a side fact. Huge shout out to Dave Ponce, okay, because he's the one mm-hmm. who obviously introduced us. Yeah. When he told me, he's like, listen, man, my cousin wrote a book about this shit. Like, let's do a follow up. And I was like, man, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to do follow up for an episode I did like three years ago. But I obviously mm-hmm. I'm going to do it anyway because this is phenomenal and you're extremely mm-hmm. knowledgeable. But I said, so he wrote a book about Brushy Bill. Does that mean he's completely biased against John Miller? So I'm going to assume that you have actually looked into that claim. Oh, yeah. I don't know oh, if yeah. that's true or not. Okay. So what are your opinions on that? I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very important to be open-minded in all of this. Uh, and and I, I maintain that. I, I am familiar with the Miller claim. Helen Airy wrote the book that basically started it all and whatever happened to Billy the Kid. My problem with the Miller claim is primarily is that it relies on other people more than Miller himself. Um, most of the claims about Miller are made by others. We really don't, and unlike with Brushy Bill where we have 
a story told by him, you know, that we, we can go and we can fact check and we can compare and so forth. With Miller, it's, it's, it's a little more gray. You know, like I said, I, I'm very open to it. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they actually got DNA from Miller. In fact, they're, they're going to try to test it if we can ever get them to open up the grave in Silver City, you know, so we have that. If they can, if they can verify that, you know, that think I'd be awesome. I believe it's brushy, but I am open to Miller. You know, I, I, I basically, I, I'm open to the evidence in favor of it. It's just I don't think at this time that the Miller evidence is as strong as the Roberts evidence. But it's an interesting case. It's it's very intriguing, and like you pointed mm-hmm. out, a very very good point in the fact that Brushy Bill, his words came from his mouth, and it's been corroborated multiple mm-hmm. multiple times. And I mean, we yeah. all can agree that when you look at something, uh, a, a case, any kind of case, whether it's from the 1880s or 2005, yeah. you have to look at evidence. You have to look at fact. Age doesn't mean anything, and the evidence is overwhelming that Pat Garrett did not kill Billy the Kid at Fort Sumner. Yeah. It's just getting mm-hmm. – I, I mean, he actually came up for a uh, pardon again. What was it, like three mm-hmm. years ago or four years yeah, ago? Yeah, Bill Richardson, yeah, he, he considered it, but then he denied it. So, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do this. That was yeah. around the same time we were really yeah. doing the push where we thought we were going to do something with the DNA. And we had, we had some uh, New Mexico law people behind us. We had Steve Cedarwall, I don't know if you're familiar with him, and Gary Graves. Mm-hmm. They really went out on a limb and tried to say, hey, look, if Garrett let the kid go, Billy the kid shot and killed two lawmen escaping the Lincoln County Jail in Oliver at Bell. He shot him. We know that. Everybody agrees on it. And if Pat Garrett willingly let Billy the kid go and tried to cover it up, you know, he said we should take his pic- cause his pictures on, on the side of the police cars out in, out in New Mexico. And stuff. He said, we need to take oh, that shit. off. We need to quit honoring him because he covered up the death of a fellow lawman. So, yeah, they really went out on a limb, and they were basically ostracized for it. I mean, they came after these guys hard, and it, it's really sad. In fact, Steve Cedarwall just put out a book not too long ago about it. Yeah, they, want, they really wanted to do the DNA thing, and they tried. They wanted to dig up the body at Fort Sumner, and they wanted to dig up uh, Catherine Antrim's body, and they got fought every step of the way. People tried to take him to court, all kinds of stuff. But they did some really interesting stuff there. And another strong piece of evidence in Roberts' favor is that when Roberts told the story of how he escaped from Lincoln County Jail, it conflicted with the traditional accounts. Because a lot of them said that, you know, Billy was able to escape because Sam Corbett hit a pistol in the uh, outhouse. And that's how he's able to go in and take it. Or he ran down the hallway and got a gun and came back. He said what he did was when they were at the top of the stairs, he slid his handcuffs off because his trick he could do because he had the small hands and big wrists that he was able to hit Bell over the head with the handcuffs. And when he did, he grabbed Bell's gun. Well, when Cedarwall and Graves were able to get a team in there and they sprayed luminol where Robert said he hit Bell over the top of the head, there was blood where there shouldn't have been. Then there was also blood on the stairs exactly where Robert said that there was where he said he, he got him at the top of the stairs with the handcuffs. And he said he was really surprised at that. They weren't expecting to have blood at the top of the stairs where Robert said there was. And, of course, Brushy's, Brushy's detractors, they were like, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. He just guessed right once again, you know. It's like, man, come on. How many times does he have to be right before you give him the benefit of the doubt? How many times do you guys have to be wrong before you lose it? He's you guessed know? right a thousand times at this point, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's what's so incredible about his coin. I didn't, I didn't know they did the luminol, though. That is Yeah, they did really the luminol. Really they sure did. Yeah, yeah in I fact, I met Steve Cedarwall, and he, he was telling me about it. You know, when we, whenever I was uh, basically out in New Mexico, I used to go out there and do debates and so forth. And I was in town, me, him, and Janae, we sat and we had a conversation for a while. We talked about it. He's, he's a great guy. And he's, I mean, he, he's a great lawman, too. And he's, he was just out to find the truth. And his, his book is out there. I, the name of it escapes me right now, but it's, it just came out. If you do a search for Steve Cedarwall, you'll find it. It's, it's a great read. And like I said, it's not, he's not really even a brushy-built guy, really. He's just more of like he's into the investigation aspect where he wants to. He's got a thing called Cold West. That he does where they do like cold old west investigations and so forth. It's it's real interesting. I would love to see him do a book on the actual Fort Sumner incident. Well, he kind of covers like that break. in that. It's it, it's it's definitely a, worth a read. But uh, yeah, the the DNA thing, that is something we've really pushed hard for. Me and Janae Valdez, we were really in support of that, trying to get DNA done. We even went and got affidavits from several of Brushy Bill's relatives and so forth so that we could exhume his body and try to do the DNA. And then we wanted to do the same thing, you know, exhume Catherine Antrim and, you know, dig at the body at Fort Summer so we can get to the bottom of it. Thing is, New Mexico has no interest in the truth. Nobody there wants anybody dug up. But in all honesty, though, after the Jesse James DNA fiasco, I don't really have a lot of confidence that that's going to happen because if they were able to dig the bodies up, they're probably not going to be in great shape. Because I don't know how much you know about the J. Frank Dalton, or uh, not J. Frank Dalton, the Jesse James exhumation that happened at St. Joseph, yeah. Missouri. Um, when they, a lot of people are always like, well, Dalton's been discredited by a DNA test. Well, if you read the actual newspaper accounts of that, how that went down, they weren't able to get any DNA from the body that was exhumed. Um, James Starr, exactly. the man that conducted the DNA, said that the body was too deteriorated. They couldn't extract DNA from it. That they relied on basically a Tupperware container that Clay County Park officials had found bone fragments and teeth years earlier, yes. and they compared that, and all that came back was a monocrondial DNA match that said it was a James family member. I mean, the, the DNA thing yeah. is is nice, but I'm not real optimistic with it at this point. Yeah, and I totally agree, because when I did my Jesse James series, I actually went off for about an hour and uh, cited that article as a source. Uh, oh, okay. Because... I, I went through and I was like, listen, he they're not saying it's inconclusive. They're not saying it's negative. They had yeah. what they had and the it, he it was a family plot. Like yeah. you could have pulled teeth and bone from literally anybody there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I'm totally on board with what you're saying. Well also the also that. the the tooth the tooth that they they got the DNA from uh, according to one person, the tooth was found in a barn that it wasn't even in the grave. So, I mean, it's, there, there's just so much inconsistencies with that story and the fact that the entire DNA test was done for the sole reason of invalidating Dalton's claim. They said, we're, we want to put an end to this now. We're doing the DNA test. So they basically actually paid someone to disprove Dalton as the more really where truth wasn't, wasn't the ultimate goal in that. It was just to discredit Dalton's claim. So, and that, that's a exactly. problem you have when you're doing a lot of these tests is everybody, you have to try to get somebody that's completely unbiased in it, which is going back to Roberts when you, I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, the facial recognition study that was done by the University of yes, Texas, sir. Austin. 
Absolutely, I yeah. am, dude. I uh, I actually cited that study uh, when I did my uh, part two episode of Billy the Kid, and I it was literally dedicated to Brushy Bill, and I cited that mm-hmm. study. And while the study itself, I don't think, says Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid, that compounded with the other evidence, when you put it all together, when you put all of Robert's evidence together and you weigh it against the evidence against him, it far outweighs the evidence against him. In fact, Absolutely. to me personally, I don't think there's really any evidence that can withstand scrutiny that says he wasn't Billy the Kid. Because all of the evidence that says he was, you can pretty much validate it or verify it, but the evidence against him basically doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny whatsoever. So, Well, when, they, have- when everybody cites the facial recognition in that article, they forget to mention a lot of facts about that facial mm-hmm. recognition. You know, they're like, well... You know, it matched 90% of the other people that were tested as well. And it's like, all right, so below a certain percentage, it's probably not him. And it's like, okay, so everybody that they tested, if I remember correctly, was below that percentage. Yes. So he they used a thing called um, mean score. Uh, MSE was the final number that they used to, and you have to fall within a certain number to be considered a statistical match. And Roberts met that, whereas the other ones didn't. Exactly. And the interesting thing with that study is that study was the only one that's been done on Roberts, Billy the Kid, that used what was called the Kaya Kobayashi system, which was the same system that they use in Interpol and over at Israel to, you know, use spatial recognition to spot terrorists to keep them from getting on airplanes and so forth. So it's pretty reliable. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's one of the only systems that's actually admissible in court. So Roberts once again had that in his favor. Whereas the detractors, they tried to do their own study, and it was in one of the magazines. I believe it was True West magazine did it, um, where they had a man by the name of Thomas oh, – what was his name? Uh, Thomas Kyle, I believe, where he did basically – where he basically – he was a physicist. He wasn't even like an expert in the field, and he basically just used a ruler and a pencil drawing a straight line across the pupils, and that was his way of doing the test. And that was the only one they could use to try to invalidate Robert's claim which was, I mean, it was amateurish completely. I mean, anybody can tell that. I mean, they didn't even do the photographs to scale or adjust for the fact that the dead or cup of tin type, Billy the Kid's got his head tilted, you know? So, I mean, it's just, there were so many inconsistencies with that study. But uh, once again, like I said, the evidence just compounds in Robert's favor. No, it truly, it truly does. It, uh, and that's, when I did those episodes, I was very, very open about that. I'm like, listen, like, I'm not asking you to believe this, that, or the other. I'm mm-hmm. asking you to keep an open mind, weigh the evidence. Whatever you come to the conclusion of, that's what you come to. Like, I'm not trying to mm-hmm. sway your decision. I'm providing you all factual, documented evidence. And mm-hmm. that's what people, I don't know why, but it's so embedded in history and culture that Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid at Fort Sumner. And yeah, I mean, that makes for magnificent history. And I say magnificent in a way where, you know, it's not grand. It's not, but it just, it's, it appeals to the legend that much more. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I actually have a couple digitized copies of Billy the Kid's one famous photo. The only one, the only one that's authenticated. I know two more have popped up. And it's it's completely digitized. It's perfectly clear, dude. I will totally post it in our uh, message chat if you haven't seen it. I'm sure you have. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's remarkable. But that's what people mm-hmm. don't understand is Billy the Kid had a very distinct 
facial features, like very distinct. His face yeah. was not symmetrical. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Go ahead. I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. The, the photograph you're talking about is known as the Dedrick Huppen tintype. It's that famous picture, the yes. grainy black and white one where he stamped his head cocked and he's got his pistol sticking out and he's mm-hmm. holding his Winchester rifle. Yeah, the interesting story with that picture, though, is is that a lot of his friends, like Paulita Maxwell and the Coes and the Joneses, said, that really doesn't even look like Billy the Kid, <laughs> which is kind of funny. You know, I mean, <laughs> I think that kind of caused a lot of issues, too. Like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, with the Jones brothers, how they had a photograph of Billy the Kid, and it looks completely nothing like the Dead or Coming Tin type, which has caused a lot of confusion, you know, over the years. But yeah, the whole story behind the Dedrick Deck, Cup and Tintype is pretty interesting within itself. But uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. That's uh, he, he did have distinct features, but everybody that knew him always spoke about his eyes. They said his eyes were just a yes. such a unique characteristic of Billy the Kid. What's your opinion on the other two pictures that have come forth? One being the one supposedly of him sitting at uh, a poker table with a couple other dudes, and then another one of him playing croquet where yeah. I believe confirmed that one might have been his. I don't know. I think it sold at auction recently for an obscene Yeah, it got a lot money. of money. I know that. The uh, guy said he found it at like a uh, dime store or something, like he was just going through old pin types yeah. and bought them in bulk. But, uh, yeah, that the croquet photograph is pretty interesting because they think that it actually contains most of the regulators at the time. So that, that photograph is they went- is. I was going to say they actually went and mapped out the scenery in the background. Yeah, they found the spot that they think it was taken at. It was, yeah, that, that photograph intrigues me a lot. I, I think it probably is probably a pretty good uh, chance of being Billy the Kid. The other one I'm a little on the fence on. Um, I'm still not sure. I'm kind of curious to see how they go about trying to validate it. But there's so many purported photographs floating around. I mean, everybody it seems like every year two or three pop up, people claiming that it's Billy the Kid. So I'm always skeptical on them, but like I said, I try to stay open-minded on it. You know, let's look and see what what do we know about the photograph, where did it come from, who had it, you know, and so forth, and see if we can validate it somehow. It's definitely interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, and when it comes to history, man, like I always tell people, because I've done a lot of historical characters, I just, when it comes to history, man, you got to understand there's there's one story, then there's another story, then there's another story, and it's like you kind of got to corroborate what you can and take as fact what more than likely was said by it you know more mm-hmm. than one person but at the same time you can't take one person's story that can't be corroborated you can't take that as like completely false but yeah. it's important to have that skepticism dude and that's that's what i respect about you is that you do have that skepticism but yeah you still... have to you really do i mean you have to i mean when you're doing research you got to be able to you know you got to basically weed out the bad from the good and so forth. You know, it's, it's, it's a process, that's for sure. But with Roberts, his, his claim is just so fascinating because and when he'd go and tell his stories, the things that he was able to recount that historians didn't know at the time or later validated, I mean, just little tiny facts that he, he would throw out there. Like whenever they were at the, the battle at the five days battle at the McSween house, whenever he was there and he said that the troops that were surrounding them were black. A lot of people didn't know that they thought they were just white cavalry troops that came to town. How would he have known that those, that was a black cavalry troop unless he was there? Just, you know, little tidbits like that, you know, it's just his story. In fact, Robert Mullen, Robert Mullins, who had corresponded with, with Morrison was like, he was completely shocked 
that Roberts was able to describe the layout of the Lincoln County Jail because it had changed so much over the years that few people knew its layout at the time that Billy was a prisoner there. And Mullins was like, mm-hmm. to this day, I can't tell you how he knew that unless he was there. If he wasn't Billy the Kid, how did he know all this stuff? Exactly, dude. And that's that's exactly what I said. The intricate knowledge, especially of the Lincoln County Jail, that was one that was one factor that I brought up. It's so overwhelming, and it's so funny to see people just brush it off, like, "Oh, you're mm-hmm. you're freaking insane." You no, know, he was he was killed by Pat Garrett. It's like you haven't actually looked into this, have you? You know, no. it's like well, it's because his, is, history is is written by the victors. You know, they say, and then since Garrett, you know, won. You know, that he was able to write the history, like you said earlier, you know, he wrote the biography of Billy the Kid, even though it is actually Garrett had was only semi literate. It was actually written by a guy named uh, Ash Upson, but it was still Garrett's account. So Garrett got to basically lay the foundation of the Billy the Kid history, even though people should have known better. I mean, Ash Upson gave Billy the Kid his own birthday and his own birthplace. Absolutely, which dude. is where the whole New York myth came in. That's where the entire New York myth started. Yep. So, I mean, yep. <laughs> yep, I know I brought up the birthday because when I did my episode, I, I I was like, listen, man, the author of the book literally had the same birthday. So, yeah, they there's a good chance that we don't even know when his actual birthday was. Mm-hmm. Tell Billy. Yeah, I mean, people people that knew Billy the Kid said that he would tell different people different things. He'd tell one that he was born in Indiana. He told one he was born in Texas. You know, it was just. They all give when you read like the Co Co's account, or you read like what Paulie to Maxwell said about him. You know, he he told them all something different. It was like he was always on the run. You know, it's like he he never wanted to divulge too much about himself. And I think that Roberts maintained that later on in life. He always seemed to be running. I had one yeah. brushy bill detractor tell me because because I asked him one time. I said, if you really believe that he was Oliver Roberts. First of all, why did he change his middle name from when it was P to an L for no reason going back to the 1920s? And why did he constantly change his, his birth date, you know, way before he ever thought about coming out as Billy the Kid? And this guy told me the reason he thinks he did was so he could get a bigger Social Security check. And I said, well, have you ever contacted Social Security to see if he even applied for one? And he said, well, no. Well, I said, well, I did. I had three different letters from Social Security saying that he'd never applied for a Social Security card, number, or any kind of benefits. Roberts was always really reluctant to do anything or to sign his name to anything. His marriage license was pretty much it or whenever he would, like, purchase property. That was it. And even most of the time he rented property. He never really even owned it. Um, He just was really reluctant. He was very wary on who he would trust. And it just goes with Billy's character, it seems, from people that knew him back in the day, was he was always just really careful about putting himself out there. And I think Roberts maintained that to the end. I really do. I most definitely agree, man. Well, I guess with that being said, uh, Brad, why don't you let everybody know, man, where they can find your book? Um, Obviously, I'm going to post a link to it in the show notes so everybody can just look through the show notes, click the link, and you'll find it there. Tell us, you know, about your book, where they can find it, and anything you might have going on in the future regarding this subject or others. Well, my book's, well, my book's pretty easy to find. You just uh, look up Brett Hall, The Real Billy of the Kid, a.k.a. Brushy Bill Roberts. It's pretty much available everywhere. Um, you can get it you can, in an ebook format or paperback. Uh, 
as far as what I'm doing now, I've been really working on my YouTube channel, which you can find by just typing in my name, Brett Hall. It, uh, I've been posting a lot of research material on there. I've got an interview between Dr. William Tunstall and Ola Everhart. It's about two hours long, and it talks about uh, Brushy Bill Roberts and J. Frank Dalton a lot. Got a couple speeches from uh, Dr. Tunstall. I got a few speeches on there from uh, Dr. Janae Valdez, who co-authored the book, uh, The Billy the Kid Killed in New Mexico, Died in Texas, and was also my partner at the Canton, uh, Billy the Kid Museum of Canton, Texas. So uh, I got that. I'm active in the uh, Brushy Bill Roberts uh, discussion board on Facebook. And uh, pretty much that's it. Um, I, in the future, I plan on posting a lot more stuff on the uh, YouTube channel. I'm going to do uh, kind of like a recap of my book where I can go over each piece a little bit more and, and devote the time to it and show the actual uh, sources, like the letters that I've obtained from Morrison's uh, archives and so forth. So uh, that's pretty much it. I'm I'm really looking forward to when you do that on your YouTube channel, man. Because I I can just imagine you right now going through the comments like uh, trolls. You know, it's like okay, I'll do a short video on that. I'll do a short video on this. I'm yeah, actually really, the really... trolls kind of give me ideas because like uh, <laughs> like when I said the uh, the Jesse James claim earlier, you know, I was able to. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do one on that to completely debunk that once and for all. You know, it's just. The trolls actually give me a lot of ideas for uh, for future videos, you know, and so forth. But really, the trolls are becoming less and less. I think a lot more people are starting to really take Brushy's case uh, serious. In fact, thankfully, before uh, Judge Hefner passed away a few years ago, um, Dr. Valdez actually showed him a – we had attended a conference where we had a Brushy Bill debate. And at following the debate, more than 51% of the people said they believed Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid. And these weren't just novices. These were actual researchers, historians, and so forth. So he, he was really pleased with that. That really kind of made his day because he, he had done a lot of the, the grunt work, you know, being on the ground and picking it up from basically where Morrison left off. So uh, I, I was really, really happy to see that. But, but no, Brushy's really, I think now he's actually in the majority. More people believe him than don't, which is kind of awesome. Right there in the same boat as you, man. I, I by no means, by no means believe that he was killed by Pat Garrett at Fort Sumner. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, Brush Roberts is a I just hope we can get some DNA at some point in time to just literally clarify it to mm -hmm. shut people up, <laughs> basically. Yeah, exactly. I, I really, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, but I'm kind of skeptical that it's going to happen because it's just, it's just amazing how hard they fight to try to stop any kind of progress, you know, as far as uncovering the truth. It's like, what do you got to hide? If you're so, so sure, you know, why are you, why are you fighting this? You know? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the funniest part about it. It's like, no, he really did die. And it's like, well, let us prove it. No, 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 we can't be doing that now. <laughs> it's like, okay, dude. Um, and no governor wants to be responsible for pardoning the guy named Billy the Kid, you know? Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. Well, a lot, of them, a lot of them link the pardoning aspect to confirming that he didn't get killed. And I think that they're real leery on that because if they do, they're afraid of affecting their tourism. Because Billy the Kid is very important it, to New Mexico tourism. It's a lot. It's a, you know, it's a lot of dollars you're talking about there. Oh, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I have a, I have a friend who's actually from right down in that area. She lives up here now is my buddy's wife. And 
she's straight up said the same thing. She's like, dude, you have no idea how many people come out here like every single year, you know, just mm-hmm. to visit the grave site. And, and I'm like, well, I'm not, he's not even there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, there. even historians <laughs> that support the Garrett account say he's not even buried underneath that stone that, you know, that, that marker Absolutely. was placed there because some of his friends couldn't agree on where he was at. So they just put it in the center spot that they were all arguing about. Yeah. So, I mean, it's absolutely, and then the flooding and then the grave relocations <laughs> and all that that have happened there. Yeah, there's nobody buried under that stone, it's just dirt. No, there's not. So, you know, New Mexico, get your shit together. Like, come on, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, Brett, thank you so much for joining me, dude. Um, you are welcome oh. back at any point in time. You've got my information. Get a hold of me, dude, if you ever want to come on and talk about this stuff some more, dude. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. All right, man. I appreciate it. And you have a good rest of the night. Yeah, you too, man. Bye. Bye.